Hukuu. Hukuu. Welcome to Eurofile. This is Kate Walker. And I'm Catherine Rory. Hi, Kat. How are Hello. you? Hello. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Just gearing up. Gearing <laughs> up for our trip. We're yeah. recording this kind of far in advance, which is unlike us to be organized. We're so and- on top of it. So you by know. the time this comes out, we'll already be back from France, probably. Or we might be in France. I don't even know. Well, <laughs> we're gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm excited. We just saw <gasps> The Little Mermaid, the new one. Wow. Yep. We It's important. We need to talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So obviously, we know it's a Danish fairy tale Story. that mm-hmm. doesn't end well. Which you Hans talked Christian about Anderson. in one of the earliest episodes, right? Did I talk I think about it? Was, it, it, it was your mini topic ages ago. ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right in the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, very interesting. I mean, they didn't change too much with the new live action one, but wow, Hallie is absolutely incredible. She's like ethereal. She is. And in real like, life too, all of these, all this press content that's out what an angel like yeah she's not of this world she was amazing i know she was the perfect person to be cast as ariel Mm -hmm. i loved eric he's just some british guy kind of unknown dude i didn't know that i've never seen that man before in my life i loved Mm -mm. him yeah um so cute i loved the locate the live locations i was like where is this where is it sardinia of course oh that's where they filmed in sardinia yeah Nice. And then oh, God. Like, of most of it so in, beautiful. you know, sound stages and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right. Sardinia, her on the rock is in Sardinia. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Imagine yeah. filming there for however long it took. What an incredible time, like mm-hmm. to have this huge you know. Disney cast take over the island. Like, I know. I, wow, it that was is, in like that's so cool. 2020, I, I think too. It was in like the height of covid like oh my god yeah wow okay yeah so they probably didn't have much fun get to have much fun but at least they're in a beautiful place Yeah, i don't think so (laughs) yeah i mean i knew i know that they like recorded it over like a really long time but yeah Mm -hmm. crazy crazy if you haven't seen it people make sure you do big big it was incredible big big like loved, loved 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 i cried the whole time cried it, it was so moving and as so soon beautiful. as she did out of this world or uh, out of this world <laughs> that song it's a space movie actually <laughs> <laughs> part of your world i was like yeah <laughs> you, you how dare you do this to Angel! Us, our emotions yeah i yeah. know <laughs> like you're you get goosebumps like yeah. she is amazing yeah i loved it so and you have good. to see it in theater i think yeah you, you just just do it yeah i'm sure it'll be in theaters yeah. for a while yeah i want to so see it again before it. you leave so absolutely yeah and i had yeah. a soft pretzel oh that was the best movie theater soft pretzel movie i've ever popcorn. had in my life movie popcorn oh yeah it was an absolute treat oh i can't <laughs> wait okay yep we're doing it again <laughs> all right one more time here we go speaking of that wasn't really a segue i don't really know where i was going with that but anyway <laughs> i have the main topic this week mm-hmm. it kind of is england but i'd say northern europe 
two, okay. but we're going to talk about the grand tour. Oh, okay. I, I'm unfamiliar. Excellent. Amazing. <laughs> Love that. Um, so the grand tour was from the 17th to the early 19th century, and it was a traditional trip through Europe with Italy as a, like a key destination for upper class young European men. Oh, okay, great. Because women can't so travel. Around 21 years old, you're getting shipped off. Right. To okay. learn. Got it. I'm immediately thinking of Lori in Little Women. Yes. Off absolutely. to Europe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Off to Europe. Immediately what I think of is Room with a View. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yep. Love. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I should read that book. I don't know why I've, I've never read that, but anyway. So this custom started in about 1660 until the that like start of like large scale rail, like train transport until Mm -hmm. the 1840s. And it sort of had a standard itinerary. You could do what you wanted. Obviously it's your money, who cares? Mm -hmm. But there sort of was this like itinerary that you would take that served as an educational rite of passage for these young men. Okay. British travelers, because we, I see, you know, a lot of like movies and books and, you know, stories based on British travelers, but it it wasn't just British Mm. men. It was men from Denmark, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, Sweden. Okay. Mainly. And so you would go to expose yourself to this like cultural legacy of classical antiquity and the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And sort of to learn like, to be fashionably like to be in fashionably polite society to like expose yourself to you know aristocracy of of maybe different of italy of venice of paris of other places Mm -hmm. so obviously it depends on what your goal was like if you were wanting to see art or music or you know whatever or literally just have a you know societally Gale time. Yeah. <laughs> it could last you anywhere from several months to several years. And wow. it was normally in the company of a chicharone, which is a knowledgeable guide for okay. you. So you mm-hmm. would have this person with you and Got you it. could have different ones in different countries or cities, but basically you would have one person dedicated to you during your grand tour. Mm-hmm. So Why? right? Like what happened? So we know Rome has been a destination for pilgrims, obviously religious pilgrims. Mm -hmm. And in Britain, specifically, Thomas Coriat's travel book, Coriat's Crudités, (laughs) which was published in the early 1600s, was this like early influence of the grand tour of this first version of an itinerary. Mm This is also crazy, and I this is like a huge tangent, but his book introduced the use of forks to England. What? Yes. <laughs> I had no idea that England did not use forks. They used like a, a stabber thing. Oh like my a, gosh. Yeah. Just like with one prong. Probably. Yeah, with one prong. Whoa. So I wanted to go on a little tangent of a fork. Yeah. It's crazy. So... <laughs> 
You um, mean a fork flat? Or what, no, what was it called? And what's it called in, in Little Mermaid? In Little Mermaid. I don't remember. I don't remember. Darn it. I was trying uh, to pull yeah. it together. But yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, we're tying it all together here. <laughs> So by the 11th century, the table fork had become increasingly used in Italy, or I should say the Italian peninsula because it wasn't Mm -hmm. unified at that point, um, before other European regions because of their historical ties to Byzantium, and they ate pasta. So obviously, it's easier to eat pasta with a three-pronged utensil rather than Mm -hmm. displacing a long wooden spike. Right. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Which... Genius. What's more elegant, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fork. Trying to stab at something? Stab some meat and shove it in your gullet. (laughs) (laughs) And yet people still shovel with their fork. Yeah, that's true. We've talked about this. (laughs) I know. I try not to be like such a hater because it's like it's a cultural thing so but yes it would be frowned upon in i'd say western society what we would know as western society and so by the 14th century the table fork had become commonplace in italy and it was proper for a guest to arrive with their own fork and spoon in a box called a cadena and this usage was introduced to the french court by catherine de medici of course. But earlier, Portugal used forks around like 1450s. And by the 16th century, they had, this is when the Italians were using it daily. Mm-hmm. And then it spread to Spain and then France. And it didn't happen until like 100 years later for the rest of Europe. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. Anyway, so that was my fork tangent. Back to... <laughs> grand tour main topic so it was normally like this tour you normally would stop in naples and that would be kind of like your ending spot and then you would go up again taking a different route probably probably through like vienna that you know like Mm. i wouldn't say eastern europe but like eastern more eastern Mm -hmm. more eastern route i would say this historian edward gibbon remarked that According to the law of custom and perhaps of reason, foreign travel completes the education of an English gentleman. So this Mm -hmm. is why, you know, they're like rounding out their human education, I would say. It makes Um, perfect sense. I mean, like I studied history and European history. So like it's much better to go over there and go to museums and learn about it. Even just like that on a basic level. Yeah. You go smell the coffee, you go taste the pasta, you, yeah. you know, do other things. Yeah. I'll talk about it. Talk to the Italian um, women. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so it was not really a scholarly pilgrimage or a religious one. I mean, it could be depending on who you were, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, you'd want a pleasurable stay in Venice and a residence in Rome. So these were like the two big places that you would want to stay the majority of your time. Okay. So since the 17th century, a tour to these places, like in Italy, were considered essential for artists to understand mm-hmm. painting and sculpture techniques within the context of the grand tour. 
but obviously the grand tour wasn't available to all of these like poor artists right, right. like you don't have valets or a coachman or mm-hmm. maybe even a cook or let alone a guide to help you mm-hmm. so you know people are making their way to europe for different things but for art mm-hmm. so there was guides and books written by artists so it's sort of like all of this was really like helping you navigate like okay you want art you want if if you weren't necessarily an artist you know coming to Mm -hmm. Italy to see the Uffizi or you know Mm -hmm. David the Vatican museums or whatever Mm -hmm. you want but you're like okay I know these artists come here and it's sort of laying like the groundwork for the tour Mm-hmm. So these artists are going there and they're trying things out first, I would say. Mm-hmm. It offered like this very, you know, obviously it's not a scholarly education, but it's like a liberal life education. Mm-hmm. It's the opportunity to acquire things otherwise you wouldn't find available to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like books and works of art and scientific Mm -hmm. instruments and cultural artifacts Mm -hmm. and you know snuff boxes paperweights fountains Mm -hmm. statues and you would take these home and display them in your home in your houses or manors in your libraries cabinets in your gardens in your drawing rooms and your galleries were built for a purpose this purpose of specifically bringing home things from your grand tour i need to be better about bringing home things anytime that i travel because i know i get lazy and i'm like i love that and then i don't actually buy it like what am i I doing i was like i wish i we we got like vatican playing cards you know yeah yeah cute silly things we did get ceramics in amalfi yeah so that was good yes yeah and food we brought home coffee and Mm -hmm. you know pasta and Mm -hmm. some dried tomatoes and things like that In Rome, you would seek out these men who were dealers in maybe marble. And, Mm. you know, this became the rise of the popularization of using marble in homes in in England specifically. Specific marble to Italy, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to show like you're knowledgeable and you learned and you're well-traveled. And if they found out that you were a tourist, obviously you would get tourist prices. Mm Mm-hmm right? And coins and metals were formed in, you know, Italy in these places because they were more portable souvenirs. And a lot of artists in in Italy made a career off painting the English. And they would pose them, you know, they weren't really posed, but they would pose them in these portraits with, you know, Roman antiquities columns that oh, sort of thing so if you had these I in your love homes, that. it's kind of like <laughs> yeah it's like putting you in these like fake settings yeah of you know the, the roman forum or yeah <laughs> so cute yeah so when you would go to florence and there were a few that would you know venture like they were oh, you know yeah. christopher columbus or something yeah. you're not going, going to, rome to or venice <laughs> going to herculaneum and pompeii mm. and going to greece which was considered very exotic because yeah. that was still under like turkish rule at the mm. time and with the advent of you know train train transport in 1825 the grand tour custom like continued but 
it was obviously different because it was cheaper and easier and safer and more open mm-hmm. to other people who would not necessarily travel because mm-hmm. it's easier of mm-hmm. the convenience of train travel. So the typical itinerary of the Grand Tour, like I said, was not set in stone or anything. You could obviously devise your own itinerary. But basically, you would start in Dover, and then you would cross the English Channel into Belgium Mm -hmm. or Calais in France. And from there, you would be accompanied by your tutor, if you got one, Mm -hmm. if you're wealthy enough, uh, and your servants, if you were wealthy enough. And you could rent a coach or you could go and make the trip by riverboat Mm -hmm. to the Alps. Or you could travel up the Seine to Paris or the Rhine to Basel. Okay. Let's say you would go to France, mm-hmm. right? You would hire your, you know, English speaking guide. And as French was the dominant language of the elite in Europe at that time. So he would, you know, travel. If you were wealthy, you would travel with your entourage to Paris. And they might, you know, take lessons in French dancing Mm -hmm. fencing Mm. and riding i love yeah the appeal obviously of paris i mean there's so much appeal of paris uh, but it's you know sophisticated you learn the manners of french high society this like courtly behavior and fashion Mm -hmm. you would acquire Mm -hmm. and it served to polish you know the young man's manners in preparation especially if he was going into a uh, into diplomacy, let's say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's like, okay, you go to the school that you want to go to that like specializes in medicine if you want to be a doctor or something. Yeah. It makes sense, you know. From Paris, you might go to Switzerland or mountaineer mm-hmm. in Lausanne or Geneva mm-hmm. and cross the Alps. And he might, if he was wealthy enough, he could be carried by servants. <laughs> this is so crazy that like, is really crazy because it's like fake because it's like i hiked the alps yeah it's no, like you're fake carried. tour like discovering america or something yeah. i don't know like i feel like you could do it easier but i don't know whatever it's a sense of adventure mm-hmm. mark twain kind of thing i don't know i guess <laughs> but obviously it's like you know it's been done you're not doing anything new yeah so Once you were in Italy, you would go to Turin, maybe Milan, absolutely Florence, Mm -hmm. where you would be met with Anglo-Italian society Mm -hmm. because it was very prevalent there. I mean, I am literally screaming, room with a view. I freaking love that movie. But I mean, you go and you, like in that movie, you go, you walk anywhere, you're hearing someone speak English. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not unlike now, right? Yeah. But obviously, it's like, you know, that person has money because why would they be there if not? So they would go to, you know, the Uffizi Gallery. They would see Roman sculpture, Renaissance paintings. They would go to Pisa, Bologna, Venice. I want to (laughs) go. I know. It's like traveling on a gondola in Venice, Uh like that sort of thing. And so from Venice, the boy would go to Rome or man, I should say, (laughs) to study the ancient ruins, masterpieces of painting, sculpture, and architecture. He would also go to Naples to study music. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, maybe go to recently discovered Pompeii. Oh my God. And huge. maybe ascend Mount Vesuvius. Mm-hmm. Later, later on in the period, they might go on a yacht to Sicily, uh. Malta, or Greece. And returning north, they might go to the Alps, like German-speaking parts of Europe, like mm-hmm. I said, Vienna, Berlin, Innsbruck. And they might stop and study at universities in Munich or Heidelberg. From there, travelers would visit Holland and Flanders for more gallery hopping, mm-hmm. art appreciation, before returning across the channel to England. So through this, we see this art appreciation, we see music appreciation, we see like manners, like societal mm-hmm. appreciation. We also see men meeting women. Oh, I've been waiting for this. Okay. <laughs> Italy, it was really unconventional societally for these uptight Brits, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. One man wrote, the shameless women of Venice made it unusual in its own way. More handsome woman in this day than I ever saw in my life. <laughs> and he also noted how flattering Venetian dress was, or perhaps lack thereof it. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's hot there. And yep. Gotta wear yeah, less, I, I imagine. Mean, yeah. And prude, prudes bunch of prudes yeah. everywhere mm-hmm. um prudes. so james boswell just he was just a, a historian wrote that the women of venice talked mm-hmm. of religion philosophy and wanted their hand kissed often same <laughs> and he shared in his diary saying yesterday morning with her pulled up petticoat and showed her whole knees <laughs> <laughs> and all other liberties exquisite. Oh, I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even Lord Byron's letters to his mother accounted for his travels, and they were eventually published, but he spoke of his first endearing Venetian love with his oh. landlord's wife. Oh. Um, he has fallen in love with a pretty Venetian of two and 20 with great black eyes she is married and so am I. We have found and sworn an internal attachment and I am more in love than ever. And I verily believe we are one of the happiest unlawful couples on this side of the Alps. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. That's cute. And you know, it wasn't just Europeans doing this grand tour following the civil war. Mark Twain untook Mm. like a more modest version of a grand tour. He also went to the Middle East and the Holy Mm. Land. Wow. But it was really in Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind that she makes a big reference for the Mm. for like Americans about the grand tour. And it said, do you remember those two like red haired twins yes. in the beginning? Yes, of course. Yeah. They said that their mother is not likely to provide them with the grand tour mm-hmm. since they were expelled from college again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they had been expelled again, like another time. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not concerned. What is there to see in Europe? I'll bet those foreigners can't show us a thing we haven't got right here in Georgia. Oh, mm-hmm. but Ashley, Ashley Wilkes, Ashley, Ashley. oh, yep. Ashley, 
on the other hand, enjoyed the scenery and the music he encountered on his t- grand tour and was always talking about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. He seems the type. Yeah. For sure. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Who are you going to like? One of those two, those two naughty twins who don't care or about Ashley. the world or Ashley, yeah. this interesting, well None of the above, but uh-huh. Well, yeah. But between those two types, give yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The one who's interested in the world. Ashley Wilkes was a sad little soft-hearted man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even at that time, the Grand Tour was not without its critics. It basically said that it was the paltry thing to do. Mm. And sort of like, you know, because you're doing this like one uniform tour, it's like, okay, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Like, it's kind of déclassé. Like, you're... You know, maybe it's not as like you're not nicheifying your tour or something Got like it. that, where it's like you're kind of just going through the motions of this grand tour, but you're not really getting anything specifically out of it for yourself. Like maybe you're going to the Uffizi and you're like, I don't really care. Yeah, pretty about these. Yeah, well, like I went. Yeah. It's it's shiny, like mm-hmm. that sort of thing, where it's like. It could be lost on people who just do it because they have money and not necessarily because they appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. And it also reinforced certain stereotypes about national like characteristics, let's Mm -hmm. say. So say um, because they were, you know, going to these specific places, only certain places were in fashion, you're getting the same type of person in that same place. So totally. Yeah, you're sort of like reinforcing that the French are courteous, the Spanish are lordly, the Italian are amorous, and the German are clownish. Mm -hmm. And Mm. so, you know, with the rise of industrialization in the United States, especially the Gilded Age Nouveau Riche adopted the Grand Tour Mm -hmm. for both sexes. So it exposed more young people to like the sophistication of Europe and also made, you know, Europeans like old money be like this like nouveau riche American is like very déclassé and they're just going through the motions of like sophisticated Europeans like trying to be like us. There's always judgment somewhere. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. But that is the Grand Tour. I love that. And I don't care if it's de classe. I want to go. I want to spend months, if not years, I know. traveling about, taking my time. I don't think it's de classe. I think it's well, nice to learn so about they other say, cultures. You know, so people said. Yeah. I love that. I feel like I saw it. You painted a picture. I honestly saw it. all these young men effing around, having fun. 21 year olds. 21. <laughs> making out with French courtiers yeah. and probably, you know, going to brothels. Totally. You think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, learning from women and it's like you go back and a, a lot of the times I don't want to like, you know, totally compare myself, but like to that specifically, yeah. but like you <laughs> go and you're like, you are open to these cultures who like, maybe move slower, maybe don't necessarily put work or, you know, like capitalism as like the center force of their life. Yeah. And how happy they are 
Mm-hmm. It is very interesting. Because and of like that. It, in the simple thing, you find joy in like the simple things of your day of, you know, getting your coffee or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Taking it may be. time but for yeah, lunch. It's very interesting. Like, yeah. How many days at my jobs, past jobs that I've had where I'm just like, you work through lunch and you're sitting at your desk mm-hmm. shoving a salad into your mouth or something. It's like, yeah. Yeah. In France, they go out for at least an hour. They go out and like, maybe have a glass of wine if you're crazy. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's no big it's deal. It's not even that crazy. And that's just enjoying yeah. life. Yeah. I love that. Like, that's why I mm. like to go to Europe and mm. try to incorporate that in my everyday. It's always like a mental reset for me. Yeah. Coming back yeah. here. Very interesting. I love that. I want to shout out my friend Sam because she gave me this idea very long time ago and I never did it. So nice. thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> All right. Shall we get into my mini topic? Let's go. So I'm sticking with England and mm-hmm. I have told you that I was going to do this before, but I thought it was kind of weird, but I said, you know what? Let's just go for it. We're ta- mm-hmm. we're kind of in the same era. Um, we're going to talk about the great stink of 1858. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about sewers all right what's okay let's go (laughs) so here's some perspective of what's going on in london and why this thing called the great stink happened in 1858 so it's actually pretty interesting i'm on the edge of my seat (laughs) during the 19th century london becomes the biggest city in the world and the population doubles between 1851 and 1891 so like this insane boom economic boom is happening in london and it made it very hard for the city to keep up with providing people with clean water and dealing with waste of the city yeah so they start doing lots of updating like reservoirs are made old pipes are replaced with new iron ones to carry water to the city more than a hundred sewers were made and thousands hundreds of thousands of waste gathering stations aka cesspits Ew. But (laughs) (laughs) this is Europhile. Welcome to the podcast. We're talking about human waste. (laughs) And flush toilets were invented by a man, a a Scottish man in 1775. And by the 1850s, they were being industrially made and widely, widely available. So you'd think all these improvements. It's going to be big. (laughs) Hercules reference, anyone? (laughs) So you think with all these improvements, it would prevent water and waste issues, but there was still, there were still way too many people to keep up with all these improvements. And so all of the waste was being dumped into the Thames River. Once more, where is the city's water supply coming from? Nice. The same river that they are polluting. Yeah. (laughs) You know, make it make sense, but all right. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1846, an act was passed to get rid of cesspits that were overflowing into the Thames and instead directed them to drain into where excess drain rainwater would go. It goes into the Thames. Access drain. Yeah. Why do I keep saying? Access rainwater drains into the Thames. So they're doing the same. They're not fixing anything. So mm-hmm. along. Just making it more complicated for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like what a waste of money that project was. Yeah. I'm not going to paint a detailed picture. Imagine all of the shit that is going to the Thames. We have like chemicals <laughs> from factories, 
slaughterhouse waste yeah oh my god yeah dead things Actual... human waste yeah yeah so this river is a giant cesspit at this point and at the time they didn't know what caused cholera which is drinking contaminated water you get that from e. coli, drinking yeah. contaminated. Mm-hmm. and so there are outbreaks all the time killing tens of thousands of londoners and people don't people don't understand why that's like, happening you're like wow. <laughs> yeah that like crazy monkey looking thing like <laughs> yeah that, that meme, meme how it's like <laughs> so let's get to the stink so <laughs> you'd think it would smell already but things are about to get much worse in june of 1858 it was an unusually hot summer and a drought hits the countryside what is that like 75 degrees actually it was like in the the 80s which is oh very at the time it was the hottest time ever recorded in history i remember it being in the 80s in june when i was in studying abroad in southampton in a couple years like 2015 Everyone was losing their mind. It was miserable because there's no air Mm -hmm. conditioning. Remember studying for finals in the library and I was like, it is disgusting in here and it just smells. And it was 2015 where we have proper cleaning water and deodorant and are clean. Mm -hmm. A drought hits the countryside and the level of the Thames sinks. So all of this waste that is floating down the river just like settles to the shoreline, all of this disgusting stuff. It smelled so bad. It was like impossible to move around the city. Just like you don't leave the house. It smells inside your house. It smells everywhere. And the Uh press started calling it the great stink. (laughs) The great stink. Yeah. Which is so funny. It was like, Uh I, I heard about this and I was like, what is this? I need to know more. I'm already pulled in the great stink. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the government was great PR. I mean, <laughs> yeah, big PR yeah. or something. I'm not great. Yeah. But... The government was slow to act because this is a very expensive problem to fix. However, mm-hmm. what lies on the bank of the Thames, the palace of Westminster, which is the home mm-hmm. of parliament. So mm-hmm. obviously the smell made their work impossible like it was either we move the seat of government or we clean up the river. You, you know, like yeah. the, the house of the, all the lords the in parliament were like, we can't live like this. So yeah. let's do something about it. That's why they did something about it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it took 18 days for them to pass a law, but they had to soak the curtains of Westminster in lime chloride to hide the smell. And I don't really, I don't know what that smells like, but imagine mm. this. I'm imagining this foul chemical smell trying to mask the smell of the putrid Just like ammonia, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So they soak the curtains in that, and then it takes them 18 days to pass a law to allow the Metropolitan Code of Works to borrow three million pounds to fund the construction of sewers. A lot of money. I know, a ton of money. These new sewers would deposit waste outside the Metropolitan City of London. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is a huge job, and it was done by... So this is 1858. It was done by 1871. Mm-hmm. Luckily, by July of 1858, the weather cooled down, and rains came and washed away the, the stink. So the great stink lasted, I don't know, like a month or two. However... I would literally leave. I know. Get get out. Go to Scotland. Move. Literally yeah. up and leave everything. Get out of town. Like, that cannot be good for Go you. Go to the Cotswolds. Yeah. 
Um, however, this is a very helpful lesson because at this time they figured out what was causing cholera. So it took a while, but they thought it was from putrid air. So that was like oh. another incentive to clean up the river because like, oh, this air is making mm -hmm. people sick. I mean, clearly mm -hmm. it was the contaminated water. So mm -hmm. like, you know, having the sewers drain elsewhere, it cleaned up the Thames and that also solved the problem of drinking water. So like mm -hmm. that Good. also saved who knows how many tens of thousands of lives yeah. from more outbreaks. So that is the great stink. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that. I loved I how you were like, fun. I have a topic, but I don't know if I should talk about it. Oh, that's not and that. I was like, that's not oh, that. That's not the oh, we got the big, my next episode okay. is going to be a little, uh, okay. I was like, morally questionable. educational, who cares? It will okay. be educational, but no, okay. this one too, uh, I'm a year, uh, not years ago, God, months ago, I told you, I was like, I was going to do it, but it's not elegant. So I didn't want to do it, but I was like, you know what? This is, yeah, who cares? And then I was like thinking about what episode was that recently where we were talking about how everyone was so smelly and everything was so gross. And I was like, this fits. <laughs> I don't, I mean, which one? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thank God for that. And now mm -hmm. London just stinks to the amount of like a normal big city. So <laughs> not yeah, just normal, built. like New York where you're just yeah. like, it is what it is. Probably better yeah. than New York, to be honest. I think it depends. Yeah. Would depend. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, do you have a recommendation this week? Yes, I do. I am recommending a specific TikTok account. It's called Arts and Books, but the handle is at mm. Laura M. Books and Art. And that is how I found that fairy painting that I posted on Instagram oh my the God, other day. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> and just like... It's great because she posts art that I've never seen before and mm -hmm. then like does, you know, zoomed in details of it and then does a whole description of the art piece. Yeah. So like some, some of it might be like, you know, a random Roman story or like a, mm -hmm. like a story of a God or like a folktale mm -hmm. story or lore that this painting is about. And so it's like so yeah, great because it's things that. I've never seen and I'm learning and I love yeah, it so much. Yeah, there's like an actual story behind yeah. the painting. Yeah, not just like, look at this pretty painting. And yeah. I mean, that painting Which, that's nice too. made me but, my jaw yeah, drop. it's nice to know. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it was amazing. So like, I'm excited mm -hmm. to see what more, you know, stuff she posts so I can continue nice. learning. That's a good one. Yeah. What do you have for me? I did a video on it and I know I posted it to our stories before, but I've never officially put it in oh. the pod is marula salata oh my god yeah okay we have been on this kick and it's a greek salad i think they make it in turkey they make it in other like balkan okay you know regions or balkan countries i should say but they so basically it's some iteration of romaine lettuce feta or whatever kind of Feta, like cheese that's like feta, mm -hmm. oregano, lemon, dill. You can put cucumber. It's it's you, with or without. Mm -hmm. Um, obsessed. Obsessed. Olive oil. Obsessed. Like you would think that it's like not. You're just like whatever. It's a side salad. No, I could eat the whole effing thing. Yes. Yeah. You were like, I'm gonna make this, and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be good. 
we have made it, I don't even know how many times. Like we're living off of this. We needed a new hyperfixation salad and that's oh yeah this is gonna be in the rotation for a long time to come love yeah love that so thank you fresh, for making crunchy. that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's good easy. One. it's easy to make so and you, you don't really have any terribly crazy ingredients so yeah and we always have iceberg even though that's not traditional really it's really with romaine but we I just like the crunch make do mm-hmm. make do yeah yeah that's a good yeah. one that like People, mm-hmm. you have to make this. Like, just mm-hmm. trust, just trust, just make it. Yeah, I'll I'll link a recipe when um we post it. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What about word of the day? Yeah. So I decided to do Victorian slang because that <gasps> that fits Ooh, the time yeah. kind yeah. of absolutely. And I like this, and I feel like I should use it. It's called <laughs> "Got the Morbs." And it's when you're feeling the morbs. You're feeling blue. You're feeling temporary melancholy. This weather has got got me in the morbs. Absolutely. I'm like, I got the morbs. I do like I, mm-hmm. this gray LA weather. Gray ass. June gloom is glooming. Yeah, seriously. But I just thought it was so cute. Like that makes having the blues just sound a little bit cuter. And I think I the morbs. I could use that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Got the morbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like someone from like Oliver Twister. <laughs> the most basic <laughs> London accent. <laughs> anyway. That's cute. That's nice. Thank you right, so well, much everyone, for that topic. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Thank you for listening this week. And go wa- run to a movie theater and see <gasps> The Little Mermaid. Mermaid. And we'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Ciao.